Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Twice as hard for the same motherfucking title, but I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. Welcome, welcome once again. And happy Hunger Games. I wish that I could do some Stanley Tucci tooth stuff. Where it's like, (laughs) (laughs) and that was visually would come through the mic. Do you want me to dye your eyebrows purple? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we could really commit. I am very okay with wearing Effie trinket wigs. Okay. um, I don't really want to be Stanley Tucci in this movie. He looks insane. (laughs) We are continuing sequel month by revisiting the world of the Hunger Games. We are now at Hunger Games Part 2, Catching Fire. If you missed our first episode on the Hunger Games, no additional wordage, uh, go back and listen to that one. Because we're going to try and not tread a lot of the same ground as the previous movie because uh, the second one's getting a little meatier, it's getting a little more intense, it's getting longer. Um, there's there's a lot to say. I have... So many thoughts and feelings about this movie because it just doesn't fuck around. <laughs> no, no, it does not. Um, so before we like really, really start picking things apart, had you seen Catching Fire before you watched it for the show? No. Okay. Did you know anything about it? Because I know when we watched the first Hunger Games, you at least understood the premise. And well, I think you said you had even seen it. I had seen it. Okay. Um, so this, this is the early 2010s and I didn't really absorb a lot of media because I was just trying to keep my head above water. And so I had seen Hunger Games when it first came out on like, I don't know, whatever VOD version that would have been Mm -hmm. on demand. I don't remember what it would have been 10 some years ago. But I saw it with people and they were like super excited to watch it. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. I've never heard of this. Mm -hmm. And it's fine. It's I, I like the first one well enough. I'm intrigued by it. Catching Fire is so much better. Yeah. <laughs> this is an excellent sequel. Yeah. Catching Fire is pretty incredible. I also saw this one in theaters because I was really, really into this series when it came out. Um, this is one of those instances where I did read the books. Um, and so I read the books, saw the movies. I was really into it. And I think the general consensus across the board for both fans and critics alike, is that this is the best of the entire franchise. And that's not to say that the other movies aren't good. Just Catching Fire is so good. You already told me when you said, uh, oh, when we do Mockingjay part one and two, we're doing them together because Mm -hmm. they don't work as individual movies. 
and no. it was a mistake. So I'm like, oh God, that's four hours of movie. That's going to be so much movie for the show. Yeah, I guess this is your sign to plan for next year. But when we do the Mockingjay films, yeah, we're going to do them both together because one of them is absolutely just the setup for for the, the latter film. Um, I mean, thinking about it in like Titanic terms, that is like one VHS tape and part two is the second VHS tape. And it just is really weird to, to treat them as second movies because they definitely were not crafted that way. So yes, we will be doing them both back to back. And I'm sorry in advance for anybody who is like a dedicated person who listens to every episode and watches every movie, but that's a four hour trip you got next year. We'll probably do the same thing with Twilight when we get to Breaking Dawn. Oh, we sure will. Oh my God. So much YA movie. (laughs) (laughs) So if somehow you have not seen Catching Fire, the premise is very simple. Katniss Everdeen and Pita Malark become the targets of the capital after their victory in the 74th Hunger Games sparks a rebellion in the districts of Panem. That's obviously a very small way to describe what is happening in this movie. Yes. Because there's a lot going on in the Hunger Games Catching Fire, and it's going to be really fun to to dive into it. And we're clearly going to leave things out because there is so much movie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so this movie comes out, obviously, as a sequel to a franchise, but in a very weird cinematic landscape uh, for teen movies. So, Harmony, what was going on? around the time of release? Like, where does this fall? I think we can describe every year that something comes out as weird, because we kind of do. Yeah, that's very true. Good point. uh, in this specific year of 2013, which I just realized, this movie's turning 10 this year. Oh, hey! Happy birthday! So much shit has happened in the last 10 years. (laughs) Jesus. Um, Anyway, this year, as far as teen releases are concerned, is... A bit of a grab bag. Like, we, mm-hmm. we talked about this a little bit with Zach when we did our High School Musical 2 episode a couple weeks ago, that it felt like the last hurrah for, like, big, successful teen films. Mm-hmm. And it sort of is. Um, you have stuff this year. Obviously, there's horror releases, like the Carrie remake and All Cheerleaders Die and mm-hmm. This Ends at Prom alum, We Are What We Are. Look, okay, that is one of our least listened to episodes, and it's like, y'all, you love Julia Garner on Ozark and Inventing Anna, and you love cannibalism on Yellow Jackets. Go watch We Are What We Are and listen to that episode. You will have a good time, I promise. But it doesn't have the swanky 90s aesthetic of Yellow Jackets. I know, everything's beige and sad because it's a bad time. It's basically a period (laughs) drama. But, so horror does its own thing. You have sort of horror-adjacent things, like Warm Bodies, which is trying to catch that Twilight money, because Twilight has just wrapped up the previous Even though Warm Bodies is legitimately good. Yes. Mm -hmm. One day we'll do it on this show. Mm -hmm. You have um, Spring Breakers, which is not a teen film in that it was marketed as a teen film, Mm -hmm. but it is about teenagers. It's about teens, but it it falls under a similar umbrella as, like, Euphoria, where, like, yes, this is about teens, but this show is definitely not, like, being made teen audiences in mind yes so like that that alum is works for us but as far as like teens go i'm like they were trying to push franco for like an oscar nomination that year through a24 that is that is not necessarily teen girl fair in its purest (laughs) essence right right um you have kick-ass 2 which is uh, mixing up with where we have superheroes right now and they're Mm -hmm. a bit older they're getting out of being teens sans hit girl who has never really been a child Mm -hmm. and I don't know, there's things like The Way Way Back, uh, Gay Best Friend, The Bling Ring, and also where we 
get to the weird part of this year, you get the second Percy Jackson movie, which is the one I always forget exists, Sea of Monsters. Mm -hmm. And it does fine. Hey, Percy Jackson's coming back for Disney+. Plus. It is. (laughs) You have Divergent starting next year, and it does fine with diminishing returns. Yes. Hunger Games is going to peak. It's it's the most successful film domestically this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, by my research, is the first female-led top earner domestically since The Exorcist 40 years ago. Which is wild and unsurprising. Yeah, no, it, it makes absolute perfect sense. Um, there have been additions to that since then um, with the Star Wars movies. But, like, that is so... So long. It's also so fucking sad because it does end up proving that thing we hear all the time where execs are like, well, we can't greenlight this because women will watch something if men are the stars, but men will not watch something if women are the stars. And we always try to push back against that where they're like, well, no, we have plenty of listeners who are also men. But then you hear a statistic like that and it's like, well, that does kind of prove exactly the point. Yeah. Men will not turn out for this and I will... Keep my feelings on that to myself. Yeah. So I think what we're starting to see, and we'll see it with the subsequent Hunger Games movies, which again, should have been one, but they're two, and they thought they would make more money. And I think they ended up actually making less than Catching Fire. But that's a result of the young adult book to franchise pipeline. Mm -hmm. It's it's starting to dry up. Like Mm -hmm. Harry Potter, we, we did it for like 15 years. We did it with Twilight. Both of those are ending. Hunger Games is like the last big one that does very, very well before we fully transition over to superheroes. Because Avengers was the last year. Iron Man 3 is this year. And then we just don't stop with Marvel movies pretty much ever. And now there's a lawnmower outside and hopefully you all won't hear that. (laughs) And I'm glad that you brought up with the Divergent series that there were diminishing returns because as fans of that franchise know, they never finished it because Mm -hmm. it stopped making money. And I genuinely do think that it's because superheroes took over, so then there just really wasn't any interest in this sort of thing. It also isn't a four quadrant. Yeah, it's not. Because Because female leads. Because female leads, and we don't like that. And what I also find really interesting is that Hunger Games was really popular when they had the games as part of the storyline. The first Hunger Games about 74, second Hunger Games about 75. Mockingjay, like, we're in just full tilt, this is a revolution now, mm-hmm. and that's when the audience sort of dips out a little bit. It's and not I, fun and games anymore, it's not, it's not Battle Royale. Right. It's, and it's uh, not Fortnite anymore. And there's a part of me, like, deep in my soul that wants to be wrong about this, but part of me feels like, oh... People were really into that because they just wanted to see the fights. They wanted to see the bloodbath. And now that it's actually something that's making them think and making them question authority, now they're not interested anymore. And so we are losing the people who are already at the top of the social hierarchy and they don't care anymore because now they have to go, wait, are we the baddies? And they don't want to do that. True. Um, I think there's also something worth noting that Star Wars is also about revolutions and uprisings, but Star Wars is like a fantasy. This is true. And this, it- is, this is so firmly, like the trailer tells you exactly what's going to happen. Everything is so very clear about what's going on in this movie. 
Star Wars, you can kind of no, no. The stormtroopers—they're—they're they're not Nazi metaphors. We can so, just—we can just ignore that. It's fun to dress up as a stormtrooper for Halloween. See, okay, there is like this weird like cognitive dissonance that happens with some things like in Marvel movies or like in Star Wars, where like the creators have never been more clear that like. You don't want to be part of like Hydra's Nazis, right? Like, but we can sort of ignore that. But people, there are technically Nazis in a Disney property, but let's not acknowledge that. It's like how the conservatives will do things like, "I really like Rage Against the Machine" until they got woke, and you're like, "Who did you think was the machine this yes. whole time? It's you, you dummies!" Yes. And it's the same thing when Star Wars fans are like, "Ugh, Star Wars went woke. There's a female lead, and I don't like that Kelly Marie Tran is here." And I'm like, "What the fuck movies have you been watching?" Media literacy has been done and buried for a very, very long time, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yes. Also, uh, for anybody who wants to be a stickler about Disney, yes, I know that Disney has fought Nazis in their musicals in the past. This is true. And also, <laughs> well, they own Indiana Jones now, so. Yes. Now they do. <laughs> so as we're entering into the nitty gritty of The Hunger Games Catching Fire, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Hey there, prom party. Hopefully you are enjoying March's sequel month. We have so much stuff popping off on the Patreon this month, and I only realized when I put it on a list to record these things how much we actually do over there sometimes. The suggestion box that we introduced last month is very, very full of awesome movies. Um, we are always looking for more, and honestly, if we end up with duplicates, then that just lets us know that it's a high priority, and then we pay a little more attention to that one. Also coming to the Patreon this month for our Sadie Hawkins boy episodes, we're doing Bill and Ted and Ready to Rumble for all the people who are craving us to talk about more wrestling stuff more consistently. For our top tier, we're also still working our way through Freaks and Geeks. It's been a really fun rewatch, and we have three really good episodes we're covering this month, but I think I can probably get away with saying that every month, honestly. Also, we have the monthly playlist, BJ's official This Ends at Prom newsletter, and for our musical milestone, we are covering the mistreatment and ascension of Rebecca Black, who just released her first official album last month. In addition to all of the cool new things we've got going on, there's the extensive back catalog of previously released stuff, and as always, if you're not able to subscribe to the Patreon, we totally understand. Just go ahead and give us that Dave Meltzer five-star rating. And maybe share us with a friend who you think enjoys what we will do. With all that out of the way, thank you so much. And now back to the movie. And now we're back. And the lawn care has worked its way down the street and hopefully won't be doubling back. <laughs> Let's talk about politics and uprisings and Hunger Games. Alrighty, so when we first see Katniss again, she is hunting in the woods She's tracking down some turkeys. It's, um, it's, it's, it's the opening of Hana, but with turkeys. <laughs> it really is. It looks a lot like the opening of Hana. Um, so she's hunting turkeys. Gale is also there um, because that's kind of how he exists in these first two movies. We're like, hey, Gale's here sometimes. And uh, we realize that Katniss is struggling with PTSD. Oh, yeah. In like the opening 90 seconds, it's like, oh, by the way, PTSD. Yeah. She goes to shoot a turkey and then imagines herself uh, shooting Jack Quaid, um, which 
I forgot that's how this opens. And it was really jarring mm-hmm. when all of a sudden it's just like, bam, dead kid in front of you. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. no, that's right. Uh, they were not fucking around. Um, which I think is really important because so much of the Hunger Games is about like generational trauma. Like it's not framed that way. It's not framed in like an Encanto or a Turning Red kind of way. But it is. These are the descendants of people who have been oppressed and who have been killed by their government. And there's a trickle down to that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she's also seen some shit in the games and she may be a quote unquote victor, but it's affecting her in a really sad and scary way. Oh, yeah. She gets to move into Victor Village, which is empty. Victor Village is so depressing to look at because it's all of these buildings that were clearly made for all of the people who would eventually win. And the only people who have ever won are Katniss, Peeta, and Haymitch. So it's just the three of them and their families. So that means it's Katniss's family and Peeta's family. And then Haymitch is just drunk at home alone mm-hmm. in this like desolate, empty, abandoned neighborhood while everyone else they know is still living in squalor. And it's really bleak to well, look at and also it's winter now which then makes everything look way more depressing yeah um but that also means that Hamish has just been living there by himself for a long time right like you start to understand why Hamish is as fucked up as he is which obviously like yeah he was put in a game to kill people for sport that's gonna definitely screw you up yeah but then to leave that as the victor and then it's like all right cool now you live in a neighborhood in solitary confinement basically for however long and you're gonna drink yourself to death have a good time like you kind of get why he's why he's real broken yeah so now that we're like up and running uh and they've won and we're picking up where the last movie left off they need to go on their uh, victory tour, and Donald Sutherland, looking handsome as hell, shows up and is like, "You need President to pre- Snow looks real good. <laughs> you need to pretend to be in love and rub it in the face of all of the other districts." Yes. So President Snow, as much as he is an evil person, is he's, also not stupid, and he's so handsome. He's so handsome, <laughs> Daddy, the, Daddy Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland is so fucking hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really infuriating for a man like that old to just be like, "Damn, okay." It's, it's the eyebrows. <laughs> he's got a good head of hair he's got and a great well-groomed beard. And like, that's not exclusive to this thing. Like, that's just kind of what he looks like as he got older. But like, Donald Sutherland has like eyebrows that just. It does something to me, the way he looks. It and just... you still haven't seen The Dirty Dozen. I'm going to blow your mind when you watch that, when he's, like, young and, like, kind of sleazy. I, I mean, I've seen him be young. Um, You've I will... never seen him be young, sleazy, criminal, fighting Nazis, though. You know, I I would love that. That sounds like I all think the I plugged The Dirty Dozen on the last Hunger Games episode. I don't care. That's a great I still fucking haven't watched movie. The Dirty Dozen. <laughs> fucking man. Just... Anyway, Donald Sutherland's hot, but he's really evil in this one, and no one wants to fuck him. Um, <laughs> moving on. Yes, plot. Yes, all right. So he, again, he's evil, but he's not stupid, and he knows full well that Katniss and Peeta do not actually love each other, that that was so clearly a way for them to win the games. And Katniss is under the impression, like, oh, it's fine, just get me through this victory tour, and then me and Peeta can go back to doing whatever forever, and Hamish has to be the one that's like, nah, bitch, like, this is your life now. Like, you were in love with him in front of the Capitol, and it saved your life, you have to be in love with him forever. So now the two of them have to come to this understanding where it's like, yep, we're gonna have to be a couple forever, otherwise the Capitol could kill us and we can't have that happen so this is our life now we're signing up for this and Katniss is way more devastated by it than Peeta because Peeta genuinely does have a thing for Katniss so Mm -hmm. it's kind of heartbreaking for him to be like well 
I guess you can settle for me. He's going to be in a loveless marriage. He's going to be in a loveless marriage because Katniss obviously like does love Gale, but she won't say it either. Um, so the marketing on this movie definitely continued trying to do the Twilight Team Edward, Team Jacob thing with Team Gale and Team Peta. That continued in this. And the story, it exists. But Gale's not really in He's most not, of this movie. No. Honestly, for how important he is, Peta's not really in this movie. Like, he's around. Mm-hmm. But, like, he doesn't have a ton of dialogue. He doesn't have a, th- a whole lot of anything going on. That said, I do like him more in this movie than, like, the prop that he is in the first movie. Yes, he does have a little bit more of an active role. Um, I also weirdly like, like, the blonde thing that they do with him in this movie. He just looks a little bit more, I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't look so, like, pathetic, which I guess is the I, point. I think Josh Hutcherson's <laughs> also grown into his face by this point. Yes, um, he, he looks great. He doesn't look like just a sad child. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, you're a man now. <laughs> which, like, in a weird way, I think really works for the story. I mean, obviously, they're just genuinely aging. Like, they're not children anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, they're actual, like, Yeah, but adults. Jennifer Lawrence looks the same over the course of, I think, all the Hunger Games movies. Yes and no. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, Josh Hutcherson's, uh, his transformation from one movie to the other is is pretty bold, in in my opinion. And I think it does. It's like, well, when we first met you, you were the innocent little baker's boy, and like now you're a victor. Mm-hmm. And that has been reflected on your jawline. I, just, <laughs> I know he's a baker's boy, but I keep wanting to be like, oh, he's a cake boy. He's not a cake boy. <laughs> he painted himself like a cake, right? He's a cake boy. No, he painted himself like a tree. <laughs> Because he's a cake boy. Is it cake? No, it's pita. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so they're on this um this, they're on this uh, tour this tour and Effie is just like here's some key cards read read from them easy peasy you'll be marvelous and we and everything will be fabulous it'll be great nope <laughs> lies they, they immediately go off the cards and District Eleven who um. As you recall from the first movie, are having a bad go of it because they are very, very understandably upset about their champions dying, and um, they're 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 under like martial lockdown. Yeah. So District Eleven is where Thresh and Rue come from, and seeing Rue and especially seeing Rue's family mm-hmm. really affects Cadmus. Oh, that shit affected me. I've I've been in a I've been in a bad way. For the last few weeks, so I am a, a bit of a tender nerve. But, like, man, this shit hits way different. Like, I think we said that with the last episode, but this shit hits way different in the 2020s than it did 10 years ago. Yeah, it really does. And I have no qualms admitting that, like, seeing little baby Amanda Stenberg just, like, projected and then the family oh. standing there trying really hard to put on a brave face. Oh, I was fucking devastating. just weeping oh. because... You know, Rue's death is so fucking sad in in the previous movie, and it also is kind of the start of revolution for for a lot of people. Oh, yeah, no, like, Rue is the start of everything. Mm-hmm. Katniss is, like, the vehicle because she's the one who's here. Mm-hmm. But, like, no, this all starts with Rue. Yeah, so Katniss immediately goes off script because she's like, I can't do this, I can't talk to these people and pretend, like, I'm so thankful for the capital because, like, no, Rue is my friend, Mm -hmm. and this is awful, and I can never bring her back, and I'm so sorry. And she's being honest, and she's showing empathy. And, you know, lest we forget, District 11 is also the predominantly black district. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a poor black district, and 
the visuals of seeing the peacekeepers, which is the most I- ironic fucking name on the planet. Um, just, oh, it's it's very deliberate. It's very deliberate, yes. But they immediately start brutalizing the citizens for doing the three finger salute because they're trying to quell uh, the capital is trying to quell this rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, and they straight up assassinate a guy like in front of everyone. In front of everyone, mm-hmm. like to make to like set an example, and it is gut wrenching and awful. And this movie. Is very ambitious for a PG thirteen like young a movie. Yeah, it's it's wild what they it get gets, away with. It gets away with a lot. Yeah, it's it is an extremely difficult act of racialized violence. Um, that is just like again, we're in like the first fifteen minutes of this movie, uh-huh. and like we have already seen like spontaneous killing of Jack Quaid, um, assassination of a man in front of his entire district. There's also by just the government the continuing threat of like. We will assassinate you and your entire family if you don't do what we want, Katniss. Yeah. Like, the stakes are immediately, like, at a 10. Mm -hmm. And the thing with Katniss is she doesn't want to be a winner. She doesn't want to be a a symbol of an uprising. She just kind of wants to disappear. Yeah, she does not want to deal with any of this. She wants to go with Gail and run away in the woods and do whatever. Like, that's what she wants. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's something that they've been planning for a very, very long time. But now that she's become this victor, like, that's not an option because you are now connected to the capital forever. And if you don't do what they ask of you, your families will die. Mm-hmm. And we will get into more of that when we start to meet some of the other tributes for this year's games. But you know, Katniss realizes what's at stake and also realizes that people are really upset and something is happening. And unbeknownst to her, there's a lot happening behind the scenes uh, centered around her that she is not privy to. And mm-hmm. I understand why she's not privy to it because obviously she's being surveilled in on a level that is like very terrifying mm-hmm. and very dystopian because that's the that's the genre we're in. Um, so then we we start meeting other people while they're on the tour. Um, going to different districts. Uh, people are continuing to sing the Mockingjay whistle. They, they are uh, three-finger saluting. They start to play nice because they don't want anyone to get hurt, and so they just read the cue cards. And it doesn't fucking matter. And people, people are get mad. Uh-huh. Um, people are screaming like, no, this is a fucking lie. Tell us how you really feel. Oh, yeah, because they can see right through it. Oh, yeah. It's, well... Especially compared to, I don't, I don't know if they broadcast these things at all to from district to district, but it's like if they do, then you see where it started. You mm-hmm. see how they even acted early on in the first movie to where we are now, and it's like, oh no, you're like a like when you have to break a wild horse before you can ride it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. What's also really interesting is that there is such a disconnect between how the districts feel versus the capital. The people in the capital are eating all of their bullshit up. They're Mm -hmm. like, oh, they're in love. They're getting married. This is great. Whereas every district is like, you're lying to our face. We know what's happening. We know it's not your fault. We're going to fight them, though. The the capital's never been given any reason to question anything. They just believe Mm -hmm. whatever they're presented with. Exactly, because everything is good for them. So why would they question anything? Uh, So I I think that that's like a really nice uh, juxtaposition to present visually uh because it's also just the wind up for learning more about the capital and learning more about the uh like the political going-ons of this world Mm -hmm. like it's just like hey here's the opening parts of this movie it's a lot of intense stuff but it's politics yeah i I know i complained about princess diaries too and its approach to politics in like the first 30 minutes 
But that's what this movie's about. Mm -hmm. That's not what that movie's about. Mm -hmm. That movie (laughs) thinks it's about it. (laughs) Yeah, this movie is very much about starting revolution. So they do their tour, and uh, you know the 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 big thing is that now there are peacekeepers in every district because of the uprising that happened during the victory tour, and they are particularly crotchety. Oh my god, the one that is in charge of District Twelve is horrible. Um, and he is very drunk with power. He gets mad at Gale um, and decides to make a show of it by whipping him in the town square. Mm-hmm. It is a very upsetting thing to see. It is horrible. And let this be a reminder that this is a thing that used to happen all the time in our country with black people. Yeah. Um, so let's not act like this is some like dystopian thing Suzanne Collins came up with. It's not. No. This is um a, a lot of the things that she writes are specific references to to history. Like the excess of the capital is is based on like there's a lot of stuff that has to do with like Roman excess of like let's all just get really drunk and fuck virile young boys and eat until we puke and then puke some more and then eat some more and mm-hmm. just it's all based on something and mm-hmm. I think that's why everything in this world makes sense. Um, all, yeah. all of the political everythings of this are based in various parts of American history, and uh, it, it continues to be uh, unpainfully relevant. I think that that's why The Hunger Games works. Yeah, because as much as it is dystopian and as much as it is presented as kind of a quote-unquote fantasy world, it's not. Um, I, th- I think that it's grounded. I, th- yeah, I think a lot of dystopian things, uh, especially people who try to get a little bit more... Um, clever about it they lose the connection to reality and it you lose the human connection that makes your dystopian thing make sense or makes it appealing Mm -hmm. to people it's the um i feel like as we're trying to get more and more dystopic as time goes on it's like trying to have endless technological innovations that seem significant and desired Mm -hmm. and I think that this is so rustic and still very much rooted in like our current reality and the way that things are still done while also being like super duper future tech. It it mm-hmm. plays both sides and it makes it feel more uh, believable. Yeah, the the two that I have always said I think are the closest like one to one comparisons of what our regime would look like in the future is The Handmaid's Tale and The Hunger Games. And mm-hmm. it's because they are both so grounded in reality. Like, obviously, The Hunger Games does have some future tech in terms of, the like, games. the actual games. Yeah, um, the holodome or whatever. Yeah, like, like, in their holodome and whatnot. But it's also, like, the accessibility of that tech. Like, the other districts don't get access to any of that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't know how to use that. Um, or if they do know how to use it, it's, like, a district where that is their specialty is electronics and yeah. so therefore they can do that but they can't do anything else or even even functionally like we're supposed to be like relating to the like lower districts like mm-hmm. the 10 uh, 12 11 10 districts probably because yeah. i feel like the further away i feel like the bigger the number gets the more like they're neglected and pushed down right mm-hmm. so i think that since that's the characters we're supposed to be relating to it's like here here's a version of life that feels at least current technologically with where we are now Mm -hmm. or, you know, an approximation of where we are now. Mm -hmm. And then it really sets in like it's us versus them. Yeah. Yeah. They do a really good job at making that presentation. Um, But yeah, the the peacekeepers are just absolutely abusing their power because they're trying to 
terrify citizens into submission. Fear. Mm-hmm. They are ruling with fear. And we see that that is Snow's entire belief system because um, as we saw at the end of the last movie, Seneca Crane and his beautiful fire beard is no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been killed for committing the crime of allowing Katniss and Peeta to both survive the games. Oh, yes. If he had any sense, he would have killed them both, I believe is the quote. Yes. So uh, that has left his position open. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Plutarch Heavensby, has volunteered to to take on the role. And I, 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 like it's hard to talk about him without just spoiling his character. And we talk about spoilers, so fuck it, who cares? Um, he's working for the Rebellion. Yes, um, which and we, we learn at the end of the movie, so it's yeah. not like we're jumping ahead. Yeah, we learn at the end of the movie, like, he's working for the Rebellion, so he is trying to help manipulate things from the inside out, which is why he volunteers for the job, knowing full well that he could die if he gets caught, but he doesn't care. Um, you know, he even tells Katniss when he meets her, like, you, you're the one who kind of inspired me to get back into these games. I also volunteered. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've got that going on. But he is, he knows how somebody like President Snow functions. Mm-hmm. He knows how to work things from the inside while also getting away with a lot because he is playing to Snow's sensibilities. Oh, yeah. He needs to be a certain level of ruthless mm-hmm. in order to not erase any suspicion. Yeah. So he, he's playing a long game where he's like, here's the thing. We're going to make her super unlikable. We're going to, like, you know, cover all of the news with talks about her wedding and then show all of the people getting abused in the Capitol. So then you have this, like, horrible thing of, like, look at how beautiful she is. Look at all how she's become one of us, one of the Capitol. And then look at the people getting beaten. Mm -hmm. They're going to hate her. And then, you know, they're going to turn on her. They're not going to listen to her. And obviously Snow buys into that hook, line, and sinker because he lives for something like that. And also he loves the idea of other people hating her because then he doesn't have to be the bad guy. Well, he likes he likes people who are agreeing with him. It's like, mm-hmm. ah, yes, no, I've manipulated it, and now you're seeing my side of things. Exactly. So, like, that, that appeals to him. Um, and that's probably always worked in any other less uh, volatile situation. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say that things have reached, like, the boiling point, and he doesn't realize. Like, I, I think he knows. Like, they've had... Things where, like, they eliminated District 13 or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes, District 13... So they've, they've quelled uprisings before. Yeah, District 13, um, as spoiler alert, is still around. Um, but as far as everyone else is concerned, District 13 was bombed and destroyed and doesn't exist. Uh, and that's not true. It's just become the rebel base. Mm. <laughs> um, not to, like, play with other, you know, metaphors, but that's what it is. Um, and we'll learn all about it in Mockingjay. But uh, we, we've got that going on, and they realize that they have the perfect opportunity to set Katniss up for failure because the 75th Hunger Games is part of what they call the quarter quell. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that they do basically like a celebration. So it's the Hunger Games with a twist. So the first quarter quell uh, for the what twenty fun. for the twenty fifth anniversary, which I think is honestly the worst the one that they've done, um, is that they made the districts vote for their uh, for their tributes. Mm-hmm. Which when you have like the career tributes of like the you know districts one and two, that's fine. People volunteer for that shit. Uh, but when you have the the sad poor districts um, asking them to vote for their tributes 
is horrible mm. um, and so depressing. The 50th quarter quell, everybody sent uh, double the amount of tributes. So you didn't just lose two people. You lost four or three if you were lucky, which is devastating. Um, and then for the 75th quarter quell, they decided that they're going to pull from the existing pool of surviving victors. Hunger Games All-Star. Yeah, it is. It's Hunger Games All-Stars. Um, hosted by is... Stanley Tucci in the Untucked Lounge, presented <laughs> by Absolute Vodka. <laughs> I, okay, for, okay, hold on. I just was making that joke because I thought it'd be funny. But there was somebody who was like blowing up for saying like, um, did you know that the Hunger Games is actually like secretly anti-liberal because the people in the Capitol are coded as gay? And that's totally not the fucking case. Yeah, I saw that too. And I was like, what? No, absolutely no, not. <laughs> they're, they're painted as like excessive. Right. Dumb. People are stupid. Yeah. Not to say that gay people cannot be conservative Republicans. A lot of cabinet they, Republicans they do can, exist. But that's so clearly that's not what this movie's not about. Not what this movie's about. People are dumb. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 75th year of the Hunger Games. And it was written in the charter of the games that every 25 years, there would be a quarter quell to keep fresh for each new generation the memory of those who died and the uprising against the capital. Each quarter quell is distinguished by games of a special significance. And now, on this, the 75th anniversary of our defeat of the rebellion, we celebrate the third quarter quell as a reminder that even the strongest cannot overcome the power of the capital. On this, the third quarter quell games, the male and female tributes are to be reaped from the existing pool of victors in each district. But the excess of that, though, I, I want to spend a little time with that before we move on to the actual games themselves, because Katniss is clearly not comfortable with the amount of, uh, of luxury and lavished living that she is now being sort of expected to, to, to endure. Mm -hmm. PETA even agrees to give District 11 like a, a portion of their like earnings for the rest of their lives oh yeah they are straight up giving reparations to district 11 which, which i think is um, fucking amazing which the capital is not happy about because you can't do that apparently no you can't but she did so yeah. they're doing it yeah so like they're going to be doing that and that's cool but i'm really curious what your feelings on this are because i feel like you could be katniss i feel like you could be miserable but still put on some sort of presentation and play the game because you know, you did you did pageants, you did theater, you can put on a show and you're really good at being diplomatic in, in emails and stuff. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely be Hamish and just be inconsolably miserable. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, we talked about this while we were watching it where we did have this realization of like, how would we respond if we were the victors of the Hunger Games? And I was like, oh, no, I would be Katniss. I would be suffering terribly. Um, in silence, um, maybe a handful of people would know truly how miserable I was and how often I thought about dying and running away. Um, but if you put a camera on me, I care about my family and my loved ones too much uh, to to not play the game. But I would find my little moments of rebellion where I could because that's how I function. You could do things from the inside. Yeah. Whereas you were like, I would be drunk every day. And I was like, 
yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah, I um. Honestly, you would be a cross between Hamish and then a character we haven't talked to yet, which is Joanna Mason, um, where she's just yelling like this is bullshit the entire time. I mean, that was absolutely what I was feeling when they were having the interviews prior to sending them back into the games where I'm like, oh, no, like I would be going like, fuck all of you. That would be my approach to things. But it, that's that's when you get to that point. Um, mm-hmm. If you're just not in the games and it's like, well, I guess I'll just drink myself to death. Let's leaving Las Vegas, this bitch. But I'm not I'm going to be kind of vague for reasons, but I got put up in a, a very nice hotel for an event once. And when we say nice hotel, we're talking like the nice like fifteen hundred dollars a night. Oh, for, for my not connected room. Yeah, that was off of the main resort. Yeah, like. Way more. I'm I'm talking, I was given a plate for an all-you-can-eat buffet, and that plate was $85 a plate. Yeah. And I, thankfully, was not paying for that, because I would have been so mad if I had gotten my food. And they were like, by the way, it's this much. I would have I burned everything down. <laughs> I had one plate of food, and it was like just like waffles and sausage links. Like, they were fine. It wasn't $85 fucking fine. Yeah, and since we have to be vague, like, what we're talking about is, like, Harmony was invited to an event, and it was like... Oh, we pay for your lodging sort of thing. Yeah, it was like, So here, Harmony has no hunt- choice in this. She did not pick this lodging. Oh, no. This is what was given to her. I was fully expecting to be put up in like a Motel 6, and I would have been fine with that. Mm-hmm. So I ended up at this thing with big wigs and big shots and We live in LA. You can say it's like celebrities and yeah, stuff. There yeah, there were celebrities there who shook my hand and introduced themselves. And I'm like, yeah, of course I know who the fuck you are. Right. Like, whatever. <laughs> but I was so unbelievably depressed that whole weekend. Like, I could have gone things. I could I could have gone to the beach. I could have gone places and enjoyed this resort. I held up in my room and sobbed because I was so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then I was watching, like, a knockoff of Shark Week. It was, like, Shark Fest or something. Mm-hmm. And also I was getting mad about the scientific inaccuracies that they were clearly painting with these bad docs they were making. <laughs> it's not the point. But... I am so uncomfortable with massive amounts of wealth in a way that I relate very strongly to how this movie is is putting these people in this situation mm-hmm. where, no, it is bullshit. Like, you don't need this money. You don't need this. No, no, no. Like, you could fund a million things with the money that you're doing putting me into this resort or putting all these people in this resort because you're supposed to. It's all hobnobbing. It's all wheeling and dealing. It's all for show. Mm-hmm. And I fucking hate it and i hated it then and i still think about it sometimes now and i hate it now <laughs> like i am it, 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 and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be It'd be like oh no just enjoy it it's not on your dime and i'm like no but the fact of the matter is the wealth is so excessive and this is what they're using it for makes me furious but there's nothing i can do about it and so i will just sit here and be depressed and I, I feel this movie in that capacity. And I think that it's the, that it's all for show. That is the thing oh, that is. is the most frustrating. You need to show off all of your money and you need to prove to people like, look, we'll take care of you because we're doing really well right now. Right. And it, yeah, it's it's just such a gross display of of opulence and wealth, especially in the face of people who are struggling. And like, you know, like we... We Dude, are, we're okay. Dude, I was fired, like, the month before, so I had no job then. Yeah. And I was just, like, sitting at home and eating comfort food and drinking. Like, I am absolutely Hamish. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> and granted, I did just 
after 10 months of basically being unemployed the whole time, sans like one week and a couple odd jobs, I do have a job now. Mm-hmm. I haven't started it yet, mm-hmm. so I'll believe that I really have it when I get paid. Mm-hmm. But it's like minimum wage with tips. Mm-hmm. So like I am not a successful person and I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. I just want to have like a comfortable life where I, I, have a, I, I have a bed and a roof over my head and I can afford to go out to eat with friends sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that works for me. But like, oh my god, the Capitol makes me so fucking uncomfortable. Yeah, I, 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 I watch Oscars red carpet stuff, and I get mad at the outfits because I'm like, no, fuck this. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, well, they're wearing an eighteen thousand dollar dress. I'm like, who gives a shit? I don't give a shit. Yeah, I, I hate the show of money. The presidential palace, the party of the year. Eyes bright, chins up, smiles on. I'm talking to you, Katniss. Now, there'll be photographers, interviews, everyone will be here to celebrate you, my victors. Breathe it all in, children. This is all for you. It's cozy. Attitude. Come, come. I definitely had a moment during the pandemic, which is still going on, by the way. Um, but during, I, during the heat of the pandemic. During the heat of it when, like, everybody was actually – not everybody. That's an extreme. But a majority of people were actually treating it like it was serious. Um, more than there are now. More than there are now. When, when people were still masking in public and if they weren't, they were getting yelled at. Like, during that part of the pandemic – where I found myself getting so uncomfortably angry and bitter toward anybody who's never struggled financially. And it's a hard thing for me to navigate because on one hand, a lot of times, like the same way that a lot of us who grew up in poverty, like we didn't have control over those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Rich kids also don't have control under those circumstances either. They They just don't. But it was one of those things where we were struggling so badly and let's be real we're still struggling but i'm i'm trying to be optimistic i we might be digging our way out of a hole now but i found myself getting so unbelievably bitter um at so many people because you know holidays would come around and it's like oh we're you know going to thanksgiving or we're going to christmas and like now i have a visual a visual representation of the kind of home you come from. I know what kind of money your family has based on what your home looks like, based on what you were gifted for Christmas. Um, And I just felt myself getting angrier and angrier. And it's like, and I know so many people who do not have student loans because their parents could pay for it. Mm -hmm. Or I know so many people who, if they miss rent for a month because like they lose their job, they have parents who can give them money to pay for their rent. Oh, we're all all like one or two catastrophes away from our lives being ruined forever. That's the thing is like when I was going through my fucking oral surgeries, I was like sobbing every day because I was like, I am being punished for not dying of cancer because cancer is the reason that my, my molars were fucked up. And because I had cancer, I can't afford to fix this. And I was just so upset. And I'm like, and I know people who voluntarily have like gotten all of their teeth replaced with like very expensive veneers because they want a perfect smile. And I'm just like, I... Stanley Tucci smile. Yeah, they all want Stanley Tucci smile. And I'm like, I am lucky if I can afford getting a tooth pulled out of my face. Like, (laughs) what? Um, And again, I try to have an understanding because I know that it's not their fault. It's not their fault their parents... 
had money and I should be very happy that they haven't had to struggle. I should be thrilled when people haven't had to struggle. But also, I can't relate to you. Yeah. Our experiences are not universal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I March is the three-year anniversary of when Cleveland went into lockdown. And I think I've just been trying to rebuild my life ever since then. Because, mm-hmm. like, my shit was together. I had a job I loved. I had a community. We had a good bar going on. You and I were happily going to be getting married the next year. And then we got... Married on Zoom in our pajamas, and it was not exactly the event that we planned mm-hmm. for. Um, I, I had hope. Mm-hmm. Since 2020, I have been struggling for hope. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's we're all we're all just kind of drifting aimlessly. That's kind of what it feels like. Is Katniss is drifting and going through the motions, and Hamish is going through the motions because they are not from a place where they're comfortable with this. They're, they they don't embrace the capital or the ideals because they care too much about because because of how they were raised the mm-hmm. fires that they were forged in mm-hmm. means that they are not receptive to this I am not receptive to this and I am getting very emotional thinking about just like the extreme wealth that I see in Los Angeles. Mixed with the intense poverty of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really have much more to say about that. It's just, I think, I think in, in, in 2013 when this came out, and I didn't really pay attention to the Hunger Games, I, I don't know if I would have been ready for it then. Like, I would have felt it, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would have rejected it because it was going to make me feel something that I wasn't ready for yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I'm like here, mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing where you see these stories, um, the, the many other films that are like this, and they hurt. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to. It's doing it's it's doing the job right. Mm-hmm. But like, dude, I've I've got so much other shit on my plate right now. I do not need to be reminded of how fucking bleak and horrible things are. <laughs> and the movie's good for that. Like, you did your job. Yeah. I mean, to kind of pivot things back to to the movie, though, there is something really wonderful that starts happening in this movie, which I like to call the radicalization of Effie Trinket, mm-hmm. which is that Elizabeth Banks, who is absolutely marvelous as Effie Trinket, she is so fantastic. I, I watch her in this movie and go, yeah, you're absolutely the kind of person who would make cocaine bear. <laughs> but you know how to have fun. We, so when we first meet Effie, you know, she is so excited because she thinks that she's giving them a gift by, oh, we're going to go on this train. You're going to have all of the best food, you know, thinking probably because you're going to die. Um, and you you can tell that she's never fully understood the weight of what goes on in District 12 because the only victor she's ever had is Haymitch, who is a mess. So in her mind, she's like, oh, well, this he's guy's also, just a mess. Like, I think he's a recluse probably. Yeah. I think he just avoids her if given the option. Exactly. So she doesn't understand, like, you know, that's why we get the beautiful, like, that is mahogany line in mm-hmm. the first movie because she doesn't understand why they are not, like, so thrilled to be around this. But in the second movie, you start to see, like, no, she's she's starting to get this. Mm-hmm. And she's realizing this is really unfair because she's devastated when they both have to go back into the games. And she's like, this isn't fair. You did what you were supposed to do. And she's starting to realize that it doesn't matter how 
much you assimilate to what they want. It doesn't matter how you follow the rules. It doesn't matter how much you play their game. They will change the rules if they want you out because mm -hmm. the game has always been rigged. The odds and were never in our the favor. The odds were never in your fucking favor. And Effie is starting to realize that. And obviously we'll see that in the Mockingjay when she completely loses the glam and is like a no eyebrow goddess. Um, she's starting to strip away. Like that sort of performative flashiness is going to go away because it's going to start making her feel icky because she doesn't want to be a part of this regime and she does not want to be a part of this culture that is doing this to people because she knows Katniss and Peeta are good people. They don't fucking deserve this. This is not a moral failing. This is the capital's fault. So the capital has oppressed people and she has been complicit and now she's getting radicalized. Mm -hmm. And I am so glad that this movie includes that because I think that is a thing people forget about with like, look, I am as much eat the rich as the next person. But it is very important that a lot of times we remember radicalization is necessary. And there are so many people like Effie Trinket who have the best hearts imaginable, but they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. No, it's, um, I mean, using her as an example, like this could very easily be an us versus them movie. And to some extent it is, but you have Hamish, you have Philip Seymour Hoffman, you have people who come from uh, a wealthy you have place. Senna, you have Lenny Kravitz. Yes. Um, R.I.P. Senna, you do, don't make it out of this movie. No, you get very, very killed. Yeah, at like the most fucking manipulative time. On purpose. Yeah, like, oh, it's fucking sucks, but you made a beautiful bird dress and you, you died doing what you love, I guess. Because like, he knew, who knew? Oh, yeah. He, he knew that was going to get him killed, He 100% right? knew he was going to die. Like, he okay. did that on purpose, knowing full well he was going to die, because he's like, nope, the, the message is more important than me as an individual, yeah. which I have mixed feelings about that coming from one of the few people of color. Um, but I understand the purpose yeah, of, yeah, like, yeah. why Senna did what he did. Yeah. So, like, there are people from the Capitol, people with money, who you see are on the side of, like, the poorer districts, but, like... They're already there. You need someone like an Effie to cross the fence. Mm -hmm. You know, go 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 to where the grass is, in fact, not greener. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I, I think it's like a storytelling thing that's really important to have a character like that. I think so, too. Um, so by the time we get to the games and we start meeting our other um, tributes, uh, there's a couple that I wanted to point out because I think either for storytelling purposes or just like, oh, hey. They're here too. Um, th there's some really interesting stuff going on. So because they are pulling from the existing pool, it is not just young people. Um, oh, no, they have yeah, old people. Yeah, Mags, Mags is, is old. very old. Um, she doesn't talk. Wirius and Beatty are pretty old as well. Um, I mean, comparatively to to they're like middle age. Yeah, yeah, to like the to like the younger people that we've got going on here. Um, because some of the people we have, uh, so we have Stephanie Lee Shun as Kashmir, and then her brother Gloss is played by Alan Richson, mm. um, who you all may know is the current star of Reacher on Amazon Prime, which I think they, is really uh, cool. They feel like American gladiators. Oh my god, yeah, like Kashmir and Gloss. <laughs> it's like, oh no, those are those are gladiator names. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like you said, we had Lynn Cohen as Mags. Uh, she's mute; she doesn't talk, uh, but she can make a, anything into a fish hook. Um, she actually volunteered. She took the place of Annie Cresta, who we only see briefly. So because this is a book that I've actually read, uh, Annie's backstory is really tragic, and it's that she saw somebody beheaded in the games right in front of her, and she's not, not been the same since. Mm -hmm. um, but she is the partner of Finnick O'Dare, 
played by Sam Claflin. He's the youngest ever winner. He won when he was 14, and a part that I wish the movies would touch on, but they don't because it's a PG-13 movie, but um, Finnick is a... is is a is a is a paid boy. Mm-hmm. He, he's a boy of the night. He's a boy of the night. Um, uh, and he has been. He for has a while. been since he ended his victory tour. Mm-hmm. So let's say that puts him at like what fifteen. Um, so the long and short of it is that Finnick has been trafficked since he was a fifteen year old. To um, all of the the, the rich mm-hmm. and big wigs of the capital. Yep. Um, and. He has been doing that, one, to earn the secrets of the Capitol. He learns all of their secrets, um, but also because Snow threatened to kill his family. Mm-hmm. And then that leads you to somebody like Joanna Mason, played by Jenna Malone, who is going to be a sleeper for somebody who winds up on the show a lot. Um, but Jenna Malone, um, it's also kind of implied in the book that she was supposed to be trafficked as well after Mm -hmm. she won and she said no so snow killed her whole family so that's like another side of the capital's insidiousness that the movies don't explore because they obviously couldn't and Uh, keep the rating no they um they they get away with a lot in this movie but you need to have a certain cutoff um otherwise this is going to become an r-rated film yeah artistically would benefit it, mm-hmm. but there's no chance that would ever happen. No, 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 no. And they they do, like, they talk around it quite mm-hmm. a bit. They like, say it without saying it? They say it without saying it. Like, if you know to look for it, it's really obvious, but mm-hmm. if you don't know where to look for it, then you might just be like, oh, well, I guess they were treated bad. And it's like, hmm, they were treated really bad. So while we're talking about the the sort of, like, backstory that exists in the book that is not in this movie, I did want to bring up something because it's, kind of become an issue it it comes up it comes up it comes up enough that we should probably address it on air but above all else this ends up prom is a movie podcast not a book podcast and i know that that can get into like dicey territory because of how many teen movies are based on books Mm -hmm. or or literary adaptations of shakespeare or what have you right especially when like we deal with like sequels because a lot of times they're franchises which means they're definitely based on books Mm -hmm. like when we talk about something like the hunger games or twilight or princess diaries or what have you princess diaries 2 doesn't have a book it does not oh it shows but i hope people understand that like we don't always read the book like in the case of the hunger games i have read the book granted it was over a decade ago Mm -hmm. but i have read the books the twilight movies i haven't read those books since they came out a million years ago and i've also like just not committed any of like the intricacies to detail so you haven't reread uh taming of the shrew in a while uh probably not since my senior year of high school (laughs) haven't reread uh romeo and juliet in a while no no sure haven't yeah no it's just fine i i get it i'm also very much a what you see is what you get kind of person where it's like yeah i might do homework on something especially for the show but for the most part i'm like I, I want I want to consume the art that someone gives me as the art that is just put in front of my face, being like, how does this work as a song? How does this work as a movie? I exactly. don't want to read a book so that it might get 5% better. Right. So like one of our previous guests, the amazing Kristen Lopez, who is on our It Takes Two episode, wrote a book, and it is about book-to-movie adaptations. It is fantastic. I highly recommend you all read it. But like, please understand and remember that like this is a movie podcast there will be some instances where yeah we have read the book and that's cool but it's not a thing that we factor into when making the episodes because like 
like if if this incident problem was our full time job, I would say yeah, I should probably read all the books before we talk about the movies. But I did some quick math and like if this were our full time job, you and I would be making two dollars and twelve cents for every hour we put into the show and the stuff that's on Patreon. Um, so in this instance, like yeah, this is cool that I that I read the book on this. Granted, it was like over ten years ago, but I did read the book on this. Um, but that's just not what we do. And I hope that people can understand and like offer us a little bit more grace. Um, hopefully. These victors are angry, Katniss. They'll say anything to try and stop the games. I suggest you do the same. PD, you have contributed so much to Pan Am over the years. I don't know who we will miss more, you or your brain. <laughs> The Court of Crow were written into law by men. Certainly it can be unwritten. Yes. Interesting concept. Finnick. I understand that you have a message for somebody out there. A special somebody. <laughs> can we hear it? My love, you have my heart for all eternity. If, if I die in that arena, my last thought will be of your lips. We have seen a lot of tears here tonight. But I see no tears in Joanna's eyes. Joanna, you are angry. Tell me why. <laughs> well, yes, I'm angry. You know, I'm getting totally screwed over here. Uh -huh. The deal was that if I win the Hunger Games, I get to live the rest of my life in peace. Hmm? But now you want to kill me again. <laughs> well, you know what? F this! I f everybody! That had anything to do with it! All right, then. One woman's opinion. Who's next? Okay, so getting back into the games, go. All right, so now, yes, it's, it's game time. Uh, everybody ends up shot in the water and ends up on a platform, and... The, they're, they're in Hawaii or something. Yeah. It's the, not cold anymore. The, the game is on. And I'm going to be real. The games are kind of the least interesting part of this entire movie. Uh, no, I would agree with that. Um, I think that this movie, which is two plus hours and, you know, I, I you, you get 90 minutes, maybe a little bit more than that, but you got to earn every 30 minutes after that. The games are fine. Like, they're, mm -hmm. they're what you're here for, but they're not what you're here for. It's like, the yeah. movie is like tricking you into thinking you're here for the games, mm -hmm. but that's not what you should be here for. Yeah. Um, you should be like, remember who the real enemy is. That's not about the games. Mm -hmm. That that's, that's on the poster. That's like the mantra of the movie so that you don't turn on friends because that's what they want. They want Katniss to make alliances and then kill everyone she's made alliances with on TV for the whole world to see. Yes. Um, because before they even get to the games, we did just kind of like skim over this part, but well, that's fine. Um, you know, Katniss obviously was going no matter what, because she's the only female tribute from district 12. Um, she tried to make a deal with Hamish that like, you go to the game instead of PETA. We got to keep PETA alive for some reason, because she, I think she feels like responsible for PETA, yeah. um, in a lot of ways. And she views him I, as kind of like an innocent because I think she is, feels responsible for everybody. She does. At, at this point, I almost think she has kind of a death wish. A, a little bit. Where she's bit. like, if I die, and it's not my fault, like, I'm not going to kill myself, but if I die, then all my loved ones are safe because there's not going to be the pressure of me doing things anymore. Right. 
Um, there, I've seen a lot of critiques of the Hunger Games movies before where they try to say that like, oh, this is like a white savior narrative. But the more that I watch this, I don't think that's true because a white savior has to actively think that like, oh, they're doing this for the better good or like, oh, I'm helping all these these poor people. Um, Katniss doesn't want to do any of that shit. Katniss mm -hmm. doesn't want to be a symbol. She doesn't want to do any of this. Like she wants to fucking go away, which I would say. She wants inner peace. She, that's she, it. She's just terrified and she doesn't know what to do. And, you know, being the, the face of this movement is too much pressure for her because lest we forget Canonically speaking, she is a teenager, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's, that's a lot. lot of that's a lot someone. of pressure to put on anybody, but especially a teenager. Like this, this isn't exactly the same. But do you, do you remember in Dogma when they have to have like a deep conversation about being told like, "Hey, Jesus, mm -hmm. you as like a thirteen-year-old boy, you're gonna die for the whole world's sins." And in the narrative of Dogma, he breaks down and cries, mm -hmm. and he is upset because he doesn't want it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of pressure to put on, like, a 13-year-old. Yeah. Fucking and, hard. And, like, she's obviously not that young, but she is still young. And, I mean, like, that's a lot to She, she do. has some Christ-like imagery when she gets scooped up into the sky. Oh, yeah, with her arms hanging back? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, <laughs> that was definitely intentional. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, that's that's definitely something to to be mindful of when looking at this is that, like, she obviously is trying to, like fight back and do things but at the same time like she's kind of in over her head and also there's a lot of stuff going on without her consent because they can't tell her mm -hmm. um so there's been a lot of planning and plotting that she's not been privy to so oh, yeah. she's so kind she's... of being gaslit in like for the good well, i don't know <laughs> she's being left in the dark and a lot of the things that are operating are under the assumption that everyone is out to get her because a mm -hmm. lot of people are mm -hmm. so she assumes like worst intentions and that's how it almost like Go, goes goes belly up multiple mm -hmm. times, especially when you get to the climax where they're at, like, the lightning tree. Right. So, yeah, she uh, she's in the games and, you know... They run from poison. It's a, bi it's a big clock with natural disasters. Um, there's birds Mag that... Mag sacrifices herself because she's like, I'm old. There, there, and... there's, there's, cra there's, there's crazed monkeys uh, that try to eat their faces. There's... Birds that scream uh, like their loved ones. Okay, let's talk about the Jabber Jays because the the Hunger Games are also filled with a lot of like, I, I like to call them like Avatar the Last Airbender uh, animals where it's kind of like a combination of two things that don't belong together and mm -hmm. they create something terrifying. So we, we learned about the Mocking Jays in the first one, which they repeat whatever you give them. Jabber Jays will imitate like parrots but like perfectly so one of the ways that they are attacked is that finnick and katniss are swarmed by jabber jays that are screaming like annie and prim and it is for like a full hour it is they get trapped horrible to uh -huh. watch because one you're getting pelted by birds which that's not fun for anybody we've all seen alfred hitchcock's the birds that shit sucks but the fact that you're being pelted by birds that are also screaming in the voice like of your loved, dying one, loved ones like your dying loved ones screaming your name and saying please help me that is psychological torture that is some uh -huh. guantanamo bay bullshit oh yeah no that my is, god that like that to me is the most horrifying thing in the jungle it's like well, there's monkeys and tidal waves, and it's like, yeah, I mean, that's violent, but, like, it'll probably be over quick, as opposed to being trapped in, like, a force fielded off pizza slice of the jungle with the yeah. birds. <laughs> it's awful. And, like, the other thing, too, like, the overarching thing is, you know, when they were all getting interviewed by Caesar before they go into the games doing their last, like, hurrah to the Capitol, and everybody's basically trying to get them to stop the games – 
Peter drops the bomb of like, also Katniss is pregnant, which she's totally fucking not. But the Capitol is like ready to burn it the fuck down. They're, they're about to be like, oh, we have to save the baby. The Capitol right. is, of course, extremely Heaven forbid pro-life. this teenager dies. The baby sure can't. It's and ridiculous. And somewhere James Cameron is like, I don't know why they wouldn't just let her be pregnant and fight for her life. <laughs> if y'all don't know what that's referencing, Google it and you'll get angry. Um, but uh, <laughs> But like, that's the thing, too, is like they never tell the capital that Katniss is not pregnant. So they're all operating under the idea that Katniss is pregnant and just watching this girl get pelted by birds, this pregnant lady pelted by birds. Yeah. I mean, like that's a fucked up layer that doesn't get talked about. It's true. Um, I think also it's just very telling for, again, political commentary. That's what this whole thing is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, 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 that the capital though mm-hmm. are like, send young people to die. Eh, whatever. 14 year olds. Who gives a fuck about them? But a baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, and people think the capital is liberal. They're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> the capital is so liberal that they believe in the death penalty for abortions. Yeah. <laughs> like, God, people are so dumb. There's, it's so clearly a conservative metaphor, but nobody ever wants to see themselves as the bad guys. Dumb. Yeah. Or, or people are trying to rewrite text to have a fresh new spin on it so they can mm-hmm. be like, actually, guys, did you not know? Look how smart I am. Yes. And it's like... You just media alliterated your way into nonsense. Yeah. Like, no. So, yeah. So, th- the games are happening. And um, what I love is that Jeffrey Wright as BD is just so great. You love Jeffrey Wright. I love Jeffrey Wright. Just we, um, like... <laughs> we just watched Game Night and you got really hyped because he was in that. Yeah. He's a, he's an uncredited, like, actor cameo who gets his ass kicked um, randomly. But, you know, he's also Commissioner Gordon in uh, in, in, in The Batman but I love Jeffrey Wright. I think he's so talented. I think he's great as Beatty. Um, I love people who destroy with their brains over Braun, even though I also do love Braun because I do love a good action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I like the idea that he won the Hunger Games just by electrocuting everybody the first yeah, time. I think that's great. And then he's like, what if I just do it again? Oh, there's also <laughs> the district because um, one of them sacrifices themselves uh, to help uh, save Katniss and Peeta. But I do love the district of people who... <laughs> survived the hunger games by just laying low and waiting for everyone else to die off and now they're just kind of like emaciated and um self-medicating which is very sad and like they look awful they look like goth kids they look like goth kids who haven't seen the sun for a very long time yeah which of course like it's devastating because that's trauma response but the visual of like a kid covered in black mud just kind of like well, she's not a kid she's like in her 30s but like somebody covered in black mud just kind of like popping out of nowhere to be like i will give myself to the monkeys because we want you to to survive um unintentionally a lot funnier than it's supposed to be mm-hmm. <laughs> um i mean they had the same strategy as cake boy pita yeah, hide. Yeah. <laughs> hide out, let everyone else die off. They were uh, a bit more effective, apparently. Yeah. But you do realize at that moment, um, you know, especially at the end when you know what the reveal is, like, oh, they were also in on it. Like, well, they were, well, the, they're part of the revolution. Yeah, there's lots of these little moments of being like, I felt like she sacrificed herself. And it's like, but why? It doesn't make any sense. And it's like, oh, you will know. Mm-hmm. There are many times where Katniss has these moments of like, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, Katniss. But it doesn't, though. Why are you being brand new, honey? But, Come but it on. doesn't make any sense, though. In the moment, like, I know. It's, it's, one, she's not focused on, like, the big picture. She's work focused she's on, focused like, on survival. a minute-to-minute thing. Yes. And also, she has the capital observing her. Everyone is literally out to get her in the games. Yeah. And at home. Yeah. She has every reason to be suspicious. You're right. You're right. Um, so, you know, we've, we've got these game games going on. Wireless figures it out because, um, you know, Joanna very <laughs> cruelly calls her and Petey nuts and volts because Wyrus 
has not fully recovered from her time in the games either. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a little shell shocked. So she she's keeps in shock. Yeah, she's just in shock. They were drinking blood rain. Um, yeah. So they she keeps repeating like tick tock tick tock, and that's when they realize, oh, this is a clock. They figured it out. Um, which then means that Philip Seymour Hoffman has to completely shift the clock around because, ah, shit, they figured it out. So they do that, and that puts things on a little bit more of an even playing field. Obviously, the careers are still out for blood and victory because that's what they want, but they die because that's how the games work. And they come up with the big master plan of electrocuting all of the beach, uh, by using the lightning that strikes the tree and a wire that Beanie has invented because he's a genius. And that's that's gonna be the big thing. That's gonna be how they take it down. That's how they're gonna they're gonna win the games. Um, but Katniss obviously is worried and wants to go with with PETA because once all the careers and everybody die on the beach, then that just leaves their little group of allies and then they're all gonna have to kill each other. And I mean, again, that's how she Katniss just it. wants to go hide in the woods all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, their plan to electrocute things goes awry because some bald man cuts their wire and then we find out that like, oh no, uh, Beatty's actually trying to shut down the force field because he's like, ah, yes, uh, because it's alluded to during the training montage that like you can overload the generators and it cuts down, shuts down force fields. Mm-hmm. So Katniss shoots up the lightning bolt arrow into the sky and breaks everything. And then she has her Christ-like imagery as she's scooped up by the plane. Well, before the, before the lightning even strikes, though, too, uh, because she gets separated from the group, because uh, Joanna knocks her down and then takes out her tracker, but she obviously doesn't know that's what's happening. So she's just like, I just got attacked by Joanna and now I'm bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, she can't find PETA. She sees Finnick and she's totally convinced that Finnick has you know, double crossed and she's getting ready to kill him. And that's when he does the repeating line of like, remember who the, like the true enemy is. And it's like, Oh, yep. And then that's when she fires off at the force field, everything explodes and falls apart. When she lays there, she is, she's accepted death. Mm -hmm. Like things are falling all around her. She makes no effort to get out of the way. She's like, nah, I'm just going to lay here. She just got struck by lightning. Yeah. She's like, they can take me. I don't give a fuck. Uh, you know, the, the machine comes down to pick her up and that's the machine that picks up dead bodies. So she is so clearly like, I'm dead now. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I've done my part. And then she wakes up on the plane and realizes that that is not what has happened. She is on a plane with Hamish and Finnick and uh, Heavensby and she is very upset because she can't find PETA and Hamish promised to save PETA um, because at this point, no offense, Gail, but... Uh, Katniss is starting to actually feel for PETA. Um, I mean, like what is Gail's character other than having a nice jaw? I don't know. He hunts with her sometimes and I has guess. good hair. Yes, but we are not shown that. Yeah, no. So it's um, like he's he's more handsome, but like in a boring way. Because he, he, no offense to the Hemsworth, they look like they fit in that lineup of like all these male actors with brown hair and slight chest double look exactly the fucking same. Oh, the ones that are all in Ryan Murphy shows? Yeah. <laughs> He looks like one of those. So it's like, oh, yeah, you're handsome in a way that like a million guys are handsome. But like, I don't know who you are. You have history, but I don't see it. <laughs> so, you know, they kind of knock her out. She sleeps for a couple days. Uh, she wakes up and Gail is there. Mm-hmm. And they have a conversation. And that is when Katniss learns. She just gets kind of like bombed with a bunch of information, which is that her family is safe. But District 12 is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Capitol bombed District 12 after the games because district 12 went the way of district 13 yes and wouldn't you know 
that's exactly where they're going. And Katniss is like, what are you talking about? District 13. And they're like, yep, it's real. We're going. And now she's got nowhere to go home to. And I guess she's uh, she's got a determined look. Roll credits. Mm-hmm. That's how you set up a sequel, goddammit. It is such a great setup for a sequel. So that you know, that's kind of the story that we're dealing with here. But I wanted to talk about how this fits as a sequel. Because in my opinion, this is a great continuation of the story we got from the first movie. This is a fantastic setup for what we've got coming for the Mockingjay movies. But this is a really good movie on its own. Like, even if you didn't have any of the previous information from the first movie, and if you had no idea where things were going for the for the third and fourth movie, this movie holds its own really well. Yeah, I think that that's something that we lose a lot in our current, like, blockbuster machine situation, which we've talked about um, in a couple previous episodes uh, in, like, the last month. But a lot of sequels don't do a good job of being contained, entertaining, meaningful movies on their own. It's purely just sufficient to like, okay, cool. This is just a, this is a tool. This is a tool to get us to the next thing to make more money or whatever. We call them movie perpetuating machines. Yeah. So this movie is just a very compelling film. Um, It's significantly better than the first one. And like, I don't think the first one's bad. I think the first one has to set up a lot of stuff and it is interesting in and of itself. But this, Honestly, the first hour and a half of this movie caters much more to my sensibilities than the actual Hunger Games themselves, mm-hmm. which are, they're fine. There's nothing wrong with the games. It's, mm-hmm. it's the games again, you know? You, you get out and then they pull you right back in. Cool. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think that this is just an excellent sequel. I think that it's got all of its political messaging, particularly for like a young audience, like really, really down. It's It's solid. I agree. And I'm glad that you pointed out like, for a young audience, because one of the critiques that this franchise often gets is that they don't think they go hard enough with this political messaging. But I think once you go harder into it, it then becomes, it it goes in two directions. It either goes in the direction of like the Purge movies, Mm -hmm. which I feel are extremely heavy handed. I think you go as Um, far as you can in a PG-13. Yeah. And like, that's not a shade in the Purge movies. I actually love the Purge movies quite a just bit. Just not the first one. Uh, just not the first one. Um, we had to set some stuff and up. And <laughs> by the first one, I mean like the 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 actual, the first, actual one, first one, not the one not the, the not the one called the first purge, that's the prequel. Like I think that one's great too. Um but those are really really heavy-handed, but I think they were speaking to audiences at the time that didn't know how to look for that sort of political messaging uh well, the way that they do now. Well, yeah, I mean, this is 2012. Like we just had four years of Obama and we're about to have four more years of Obama. Right. Like that first four years of Obama, like it it felt good after dealing with Bush and the Iraq war. And like, obviously Obama had problems, but it was like, no, but like things are okay. Things, we're starting, we got, we got, we lived through the Bush administration. We're getting a little bit older. We're getting slightly more radicalized, but you need to start noticing the the, the mm-hmm. details. You need to start seeing like the cracks and things and not assuming that everything is wholly good or wholly bad. And I think this is a really good tool at the exact time that it is for teaching young people like what to look for and how to think. Exactly. Because I, I think that this is really good for its target audience, for that kind of PG-13 audience. I think that there is just enough in there to radicalize people, but it's not so much that it feels heavy handed. Mm-hmm. You can also get away with a lot more because it is not such a like, this is a clear and direct metaphor. It's, it's dystopian, um, so you can also get away with things rather than have it be commentary on our current times like 
purge movies are. Exactly. Like, and God, that that what what is that? Forever Purge? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I have never seen a more heavy-handed film in my life. And you had fun, <laughs> and I thought it was fine, but it was so fun. It laid it on thick. Yeah, and you haven't seen the t- second or third or the prequel one, so. You- We'll get there. Okay. (laughs) But I think that this movie does such a a really good job at presenting it. And what I think is proof of that is the fact that these movies have only gotten better with age. They've only gotten more relevant, which is like terrible. Like it shouldn't be getting more relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, But the fact that they are becoming more relevant is like, look, we were trying to call this out in metaphor in 2012. We were trying to point this out in dystopian symbolism now it's just it it's real like mm-hmm. the the scene in district 11 looks like some shit you would see on the news like it looks like the aftermath of a protest yeah. um and it's harrowing i mean he, he, here's really what it boils down to for me it's 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 the mantra of remember who the real enemy is hey um leftists and liberals don't cannibalize your own cause because you need to one up the person next to you. Mm-hmm. This isn't about anything other than like 99% of us against 1% of them. That's what it should be. Right. And don't forget that just because, you know, someone who has good intentions said something slightly different from how you would have said it and you're mad about it now. Right. Like, I, I think that it's a good stepping stone for taking that and then building off of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's where this movie shines. I think that it is. I, I wish that people processed a little bit more from it, but they also may have gone, this is too intense. And that's why the the subsequent movies sort of start to start to dwindle. It doesn't end with a bang, but more of a whimper. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's just that's just my thoughts as someone who has not seen either Mockingjay movie. No, you're right. <laughs> like, that's 100% what happened. Uh, because the, the metaphors get a little bit... Um, They're not metaphors anymore? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, this movie's really, really upfront about what it is. From the, the the beginning of the movie, from the trailer, from the promotion, maybe not like the romance stuff, but like, it's very, very clear about what it's saying. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. But uh, like, you know, as we discussed earlier with discussing conservatives who were into Rage Against the Machine... Some people are dumb as hell. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know who else to put it. Like maybe that sounds mean and judgmental or is it accurate? I mean there there's also <laughs> maybe something about like a post walking dead zombie apocalypse thing of like you can put yourself in there and I was like here's how I would survive. Mm-hmm. If, here's if it was me against everyone, here's how I would survive. And it's like okay, cool, but now you have to sort of play 4D chess Mm -hmm. in this movie. And it's not about just here's how I would survive. You have to make allegiances and you have to sort of work in the inner the, the in you the have shadows to build community scenes. this is no longer you know one man one person for, against the world yes fucking one man army like yeah it's like nope you have to work together as a community because ultimately that is the message of the hunger games is that it isn't it should have never have been one person against the world we are so much stronger when we all work together yeah and i yeah i love that class solidarity baby hell yeah <laughs> so i think that takes us out on the Hunger Games catching fire. Yeah. So Harmony, the film is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Or are you buying her tickets so she can go on her own? I think that this is a big yes. Uh, I think that this is the best sequel that we have done this month by far. No offense. Uh, no offense, High School Musical 2. Um, I think I said this at the end of the first one, but I'm excited to see where this story goes and that's what you want out of a franchise. Yeah. 
That's that's me being invested in the characters because the characters I didn't like as much like PETA, I like more. The mm-hmm. characters I already liked, I'm on board with now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they introduce new characters who I also immediately like or you know don't like for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. It gets the desired response out of me while also um, wounding me in all of the ways it's trying to. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I, I think that this is a fantastic sequel. Amazing. I love that for you. And I'm excited to, you know, watch the the, the final chapters with you next year. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be so much. <laughs> and also, sorry if we got spicy. It's just this movie was really emotionally uh, taxing to revisit in 2023. And uh, good. I yeah. don't think I don't think it's good that like, obviously, I and mean, we've said it before, but like, I don't like how relevant it is, but it's good that it is still good at yeah. being relevant. Agreed, agreed completely. Alrighty, friends. Thank you again so much for listening. We will see you next week. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at The Sunset Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velocitraptor underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you to The Sonner Bombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Um, very curious about this one. Uh, what band are you recommending this week that is inspired by The Hunger Games Catching Fire? So The Hunger Games has a very, very big soundtrack with lots of big name artists that I would uh, describe as quite commercial. None of the songs are obviously featured in the movie. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, let's just slap some people together and put The Hunger Games name on it to sell some soundtracks. So because this is like Christina Aguilera and the Lumineers and the Weekend and Coldplay, I I'm, I'm sort of going with like the themes of the Hunger Games more than like the actual soundtrack of the Hunger Games. So the band I am recommending for you this week is the band Proper. They have a period at the end of their name and their album, The Great American Novel. It is a lot of different things at once. It's like a prog rock album and an art rock album and emo and has some good melodies and hooks. It's, it's, it's many different things all squished together in one singular piece of music. It, it's written to sound like uh, individual chapters of a novel. And it's, it's heavy. Musically, it gets heavy sometimes, but lyrically, it's very heavy. And I'm just going to read from the band on how they describe this because I think that that's much better than anything I could say. It all goes back to black genius and how it's ingested by the predominantly cishet white male crowd. If they're going to be a voyeur to the black experience, I wanted to strip away all the cheeky song titles, lyrical inside jokes, and optimistic sing-alongs. I want them to hear this record and learn about our identity crises, our aimlessness, and how many friends and families we know that are dead or in jail by 25, how at 8 we're told we're gifted, but 11 we're told we're dangerous. Mm. I think that that works well for this movie. And I think it's really good. Um, I think it gets better on subsequent listens, too. So I think that's what you really want out of a, out of a solid album. And at the suggestion of one of our listeners, who this is a great idea and we should do it more often, I'm going to start saying the names of the bands at the end of the plug <laughs> in case you missed it and you don't have to rewind. So this is the band Proper with a period at the end. Amazing. All righty. Thank you so much. We will see you next week. And as always. Save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye.
This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.